you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, as we continue our study through the Word. So Jonah, when I come to the book of Jonah, every single time I hear the word Jonah, in my own head, this is what I hear. Jonah was a prophet. <laughs> Which for those of you who are wondering if I've lost my mind, uh, that is a VeggieTales uh, tune and song. And when my kids were growing up, we listened to VeggieTales and to the Jonah the prophet uh, so often. And just, uh, but Jonah, Jonah is a prophet of God and he's unique amongst all of the prophets, Old Testament prophet. But what makes Jonah unique is that Jonah was the only prophet that we have recorded that ever ran from his calling that and so we're gonna see this uh, this prophet and, and and try and take a look at those things that caused that to transpire to kind of understand that and then watch the way that that God works uh, with a, a rebellious prophet and and in seeing how he works with a rebellious prophet we also see the nature of God as he works with uh, with rebellious children rebellious Christians anybody know a rebellious Christian don't raise your hand but rebellion against the will the word it's the battle of the flesh and the spirit and and so here is this this prophet that has been used prior to his departure he was a well-known prophet and he had come and given prophecies about the expansion of the kingdom jeroboam the second was the king during his reign and jeroboam the second was the one that expanded the territory to its greatest extent outside of solomon and and, and so he gave these prophecies that god had told him to present that the expansion of jeroboam's kingdom and, and so he had these wonderful wonderful prophecies that ha had been given and were exciting for for him to receive about you know god's blessing upon the territorial uh, expansion but but we're going to see that god is now going to call him to a task that isn't one that he's desirous of and and he's going to send him to the assyrians now when you say the Assyrians uh, you, to us it's just another name but but to the to the Jews and to any of the people that were around during that day you said the word Assyrian and it just invoked fear into your heart the Assyrians were you know this incredible empire this world empire what happens is they're in mesopotamia and and they develop they latch on to the use of iron in the in a bronze age and so the iron is much stronger and much harder than bronze and and so they begin to develop military weapons with this iron and they gain a military advantage because of that and then they start aggressively to expand and and so they they have their their capital kingdom nineveh and Nineveh is this incredibly fortified city, and they, and they use tremendous administration and warfare. But also what they do is they were known to be the cruelest, 
possibly the cruelest of, of all of the empires that have uh, ever been. And, and so they struck terror into the hearts of the people when they would come. They, they, they would just take and they would chop the heads and hands off of everybody. They would kill everybody. They would impale them on stakes. They would take and flay the skin off of them and then put that skin onto the wall for everybody to see. They, they really, it was psychological warfare. When the Assyrians would come and siege you as a city, people would commit suicide inside the city rather than surrender because if you surrendered to them the, the, the atrocities that they would then, you know, take into place. And so, so Assyria and Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Now, Assyria in its growth had already expanded down and come into the northern section of Israel uh, underneath Jehu and had taken tribute. Jehu gave tribute to the Assyrians to be protected from them and to not to be destroyed by them. They ran into some, some internal problems managing their kingdom, and so they kind of withdrew and it was during this time period of their withdrawal and their reconsolidation that Jeroboam was able to expand kind of in that vacuum behind the Syria's uh, departure and and this is now the time uh, when God calls Jonah to now go to Nineveh uh, to the capital city of the Assyrians who are these fierce, fierce people. And so that's kind of the background of where we begin here in the first verse of uh, Jonah chapter 1. And we see that it records for us now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So when God sends Jonah to Nineveh, we see that that's a distance of about 550 miles away from Israel. Let's put a slide up uh, here behind me. And so here we kind of uh, get a picture of uh, what is going on. We see that uh, here is Israel down here. And we see that Nineveh is about 550 miles uh, away. So if you were to travel about 15 to 20 miles a day, you're talking about a month's journey to be able to get from Israel now to the capital of uh, Nineveh. And so, you know, he tells them to go to Nineveh and to cry out uh, against them. Now, the crying out against them means rebuke them for their sins and, and call them to repentance. Uh, call them to a place of, of repentance. And it's because of their wickedness has come up before me. And so we see that they were evil and violent and they were prideful. Nahum writes about their crimes in, in his third chapter. And, and so again, it was their brutality and their atrocities. We see that God wanted Jonah to go because he saw their wickedness. And none of man's wickedness is hidden before God. Every single thing is open before God, and it comes to that point now uh, where their sin uh, required a, a warning and also judgment. 
And it says in verse 3, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God calls Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh. And so he comes down to Joppa and heads all the way to Tarshish uh, over here, which Tarshish was the, the furthest place on the map. It's like the end of the earth. This is out towards Spain. The, uh, the, uh, Gibraltar is right there. It's on the other side of, uh, of the pass of Gibraltar. And, and so, you know, God says go left, and he takes a hard right and goes, you know, is headed as far away as he can possibly get from where God is calling him to go. And so we see that he didn't want to do what God told him to do. We see that he was delighted to be able to prophesy about the restored territory of Israel. But now we see that he has been called to go to this capital city of Assyria which was a threat to the nation of Israel. They had already come down before. The, the expansion of Assyria, Assyria and Babylon were battling over the, the, the Mesopotamia area, the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Babylon and Assyria, they worshiped the same gods. And so they had kind of an unspoken agreement that they would leave each other alone. And so Assyria was expanding north and east or west, and we see that Babylon was expanding over to the west, and they kind of left each other alone for an extended period of time. And so here we see that you know, Assyria has come down and threatened. They've already taken tribute one time before. And so the the fear, the threat of the Assyrians are coming. This is a real threat that they had already lived through. And so now, you know, God calls him to go to these fierce people, to their capital city, and to call them to a place of repentance. And so we see that he heads down to Joppa. Joppa is the, the seaport that is there to escape the call of God to go and to preach to the Gentiles. He boards a ship there in Joppa. And we see that that is about 35 miles away from Jerusalem and and so uh, here we see that, that he is going to run from God. It is there in Joppa, interesting, that Peter was on the housetop with Simon the Tanner. You'll remember when God gives uh, the vision to Peter as he is waiting for lunch. And, and it is the, the, the Gentiles, that the Gentiles are going to be saved, that the sheet comes down with the clean and the unclean. And, and it is there that the kingdom now is being opened up to the Gentiles. So it's interesting that Joppa was the place now where Peter is given the vision of the preaching to the Gentiles. And it was from Joppa where here he runs, he runs from going to preach to the Gentiles. And so... 
He goes down from the presence of the Lord. And, and we're going to see that that is twice repeated in this verse, from the presence of the Lord. That breaking fellowship with God, where he has been obedient to the Lord, but now he becomes disobedient. And in his disobedience, what is the consequence of sin? The consequence of sin always is the breaking of fellowship with God. And so as he goes to Joppa to head in the opposite direction of where God is calling him to do, he has now broken that fellowship and he has exited from the presence of the Lord. And so he paid the fare. Goes down and, and he pays the fare. And it, it seems easy enough. You know, Jonah could feel like, well, you know, maybe I didn't hear God correctly. You know, maybe, maybe what I'll do is I'll just, I'm going to go down to Joppa and just see if there's any ships. See if they're heading towards or, or away, you know, from Nineveh. Oh, look at there there's one heading out to Tarshish, you know. Well, you know what I'll do? I'll just see if, there, if there's a, a, any availability uh, uh, on that ship, you know. Oh, there's availability. The Lord must be in it. I'll find out how much it is. Oh, I've got that much in my pocket. <laughs> oh, this is the Lord now. Maybe the Lord really wants me to go to Tarshish uh, instead of uh, Joppa, instead of rather Nineveh. And, and we see so oftentimes the way that that we can begin to play those games when, when we want what we want and we know it's really not God's will. So then we just start looking for, oh, look, the light just turned green. You know what that means? God's giving me a green light. I should keep dating this non-believer. <laughs> you know, and, and suddenly, you know, we start using all of these circumstantial situations to confirm not the will of God, but what our, but what our heart wants and so he paid the fare buys a ticket jumps on the boat but it says that he goes from the presence of the lord psalm 139 where can i go from your spirit or where can i flee from your presence if i ascend into heaven you are there if i make my bed in hell behold you are there if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And so here we see that, that though he is going to head in the opposite direction, the Lord sees and knows and you cannot run from God. Verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. And so they're out, they depart, and now sometime on their journey, it's a long journey, it doesn't tell us. We see here that, that a great wind comes up on the sea. But it says that the Lord sent out a great wind. It was the Lord who stirred up the storms. And you see, some trials the Lord allows in your life, but other trials the Lord sends into your life. And so here suddenly now out in the ocean and in a trial, the Lord sends a great wind. And, and that wind turns into a, a mighty tempest. 
we see that our trials, notice this, <coughs> they don't just affect us, but they also affect those that are around you. When you go through a trial, your loved ones go through that trial with you. If, if God is now sending <coughs> a trial upon you, if he is now chastising you for your disobedience or for your unwillingness to, to follow after him, notice that you're going to take everybody else that's connected with you through that. When you're blessed, man, you're going to be a blessing to those around you. But when you go through sin and judgment, you're also going to take the people that are around you there as well. Here was a bunch of sailors. Here's the captain and his crew, and they're just setting off on their, on their trade route, and, and suddenly they have a disobedient Jonah that's uh, on their boat, and now suddenly they're in the midst of a, of a trial, which is a judgment upon Jonah, but they're caught in the wake of it. Our lives impact the people that are around us, for better or for worse. Your sin affects others, even if they're not aware of it. Your sin breaks your relationship with God and then prevents God's love from flowing through you and out onto others. They are not going to experience the same person that you are when you're underneath the, the judgment of God when he has removed the intimacy and fellowship and communion, when, when your soul isn't at peace, when you're not filled with joy. And so here we see that, that now this ship and all who were on it, they end up in a mighty tempest. Listen, it was so severe, it says that the ship was about to be broken up. This isn't just a, a, a small little storm. In those days, the ships, one of the great challenges was the times of the year that you could sail and that you couldn't sail. You could not sail during the winter time because the seas were just too rough for the boats and for the construction of the boats in those days. And when you got into too rough of waters, can you imagine being in the middle of a tempest and your boat just breaks apart? And, and, and now... You are out in the middle of the sea and your boat is destroyed. Everybody will perish. And so this is the greatest fear is that your boat will be broken apart. And this is the exact worst case scenario nightmare that all of these that are on the boat are in. And it says in verse 5, and then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. We see here that, that the mariners are, uh, are afraid. We see that, but here, Jonah has gone down, it says, into the lowest parts of the ship. So notice that it says that he went down to Joppa. So he goes down to Joppa. It says he found a ship going down to Tarshish. He went down into the boat. He's now in the deepest parts of the boat. And so here we see this picture of this downward spiral that Jonah is in, in his departure away from the Lord. Every man cried out to his God. Man instinctively 
cries out when we are in trouble, to whatever source of help he, he believes in. And so everybody is crying out to their God, and, and then nothing is happening, so they do whatever they can. They take and throw everything out, uh, off of the ship. They're trying to uh, raise the ship up so it will ride higher uh, in the water. And so they throw out all of the cargo. And, and so we have this contrast of, uh, of these men crying out to God and doing every single thing that they can, though they don't know the true and the living God. And we have the picture over here is the prophet who knows the true and the living God doing absolutely nothing. Sin hardens the heart. It hardens your heart. It makes you insensitive. And here we see the insensitivity of Jonah to what God is doing. We see an indifference that's taking place. And so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Everybody is doing everything they possibly can, except Jonah, who's doing absolutely nothing. And the captain comes down and rebukes him. Why, sluggard, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing it? We're all crying out to our God. Cry out to your God. They don't even know that Jonah is a prophet. They're just seeing that he is not involved and engaged in the emergency that is at hand. And so, call on your God. Perhaps we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So the sailors concluded that this crazy storm now wasn't of natural origin, that, that there is something that is going on that is behind just this storm, that, that this storm is a result of divine wrath on, uh, for somebody that is uh, on board. And so let's cast lots to determine who who this divine wrath is. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Do you think Jonah was surprised by that? <laughs> As the lots start being cast, and the group keeps dwindling smaller and smaller, and, you know, and then finally it's Jonah and the other guy, and Jonah's like, you probably don't even need to cast the lots. Uh, and the lot fell. On Jonah. God expresses his sovereignty over Jonah's affairs, causing the lot to fall on his disobedient prophet. And then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? Please tell us. Once the lot falls on Jonah, they, they want to know as much as they could from Jonah so that they can solve the problem and save their lives. Their, their, their boat is about to explode and they're all going to lose their lives. And so he said to him, I am a Hebrew. 
they fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah identifies himself as an Israelite. He said that God is the Lord. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, the one true sovereign. And, and so he is the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God of Israel. And we see here that you know, he stands in contrast to the many false gods that the sailors were crying out to. But he is the creator God who made the sea and the dry land. We see that as creator of the world, he also is the one that can control nature. He also can control the storms on the sea. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous as the lots are being cast, as, you know, as they're interviewing him. The tempest is growing even worse. The, 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 the ratcheting up of the situation, the stress of the situation. And, and now... They, they want to know what, what they could do. Superstition, what, what, what do we need to do in order to appease the, the, the situation? And, you know, and, and notice here that these mariners, these sailors are rebuking the prophet. Why have you done this? Why have you done this? Those are hard questions to answer. Have you ever disobeyed the Lord and then found yourself asking that same question of yourself? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I know better? Jonah's a prophet. He knows better than to disobey the Lord. And yet he finds himself in the bottom of the ship headed for Tarshish. And they're asking him the question, why did you do that? Sin can seem so appealing in the moment. Underneath the ether in the time of temptation when it seems the enemy makes evil look good and good look evil and, and you succumb. And you ask yourself, why? Why did I do that? I know better than this. And so they ask that of, of Jonah. And there aren't words. They sense that since he was responsible for the storm, they needed to do something to him, and only then would the storm be abated. And, and now the sea was growing more tempestuous. The, the situation is getting worse. And, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me recognizing probably the gravity of his disobedience that resulted in the great storm, he, he tells them to, uh, to throw him overboard. <laughs> Perhaps, Jonah says, I, 
I am not going to Nineveh and I would rather drown than go to Nineveh. Throw me in the water. And, and this may be still a hard heart and a state of rebellion. I am not going to Nineveh. <laughs> but God has another plan for, <laughs> for Jonah. <laughs> Jesus said it's difficult to kick against the goads. <laughs> it is kick difficult to kick against the will of God in your life. What is the will of God in your life? God invites us into that will, but it, it is difficult to kick against the goads. And in verse 13, you know, Jonah tells him, throw me in the water and it'll go well for you. And, and in verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. The, the sailors, they weren't anxious to, to take a human life. They feared that then, that then they would be judged by the gods and the other gods for, for murder. And so they, 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 they don't want to do this. And, and so they try to deliver themselves. They, they try and, and row. But the sovereign God was not going to allow his will to be changed. So they rode, but the sea grew more tempestuous. They recognized the futility of their efforts at some point. They come to recognize that Jonah's God controls the sea. And they realize that Jonah's instructions had to be carried out. It must have been difficult take a man and throw him overboard they're sailors they're not soldiers throw a man to his death but Jonah's instructions needed to be carried out Verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so by their words, we see, you know, you, O Lord, have done as you please. The sailors are acknowledging his divine sovereignty and the providence in the storm and in the casting of the lots. And so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and, and took vows. Following the prophet's instructions, the sailors throw Jonah into the raging sea and the immediate end of the storm proved that Jonah's God exists <laughs> And that Jonah's resistance to God was the problem. And they feared the Lord exceedingly. They, they stood in awe as suddenly now the, the, this tempestuous sea that was about to break their boat apart turns calm.
In Mark's gospel, it tells us on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? And it says in the disciples, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The tempestuous sea that just, bam, stops at his command. And the awe of the power of God. The experience of, of the revelation, of a demonstration of, of His power. One day we will see the power and the glory of God. And it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. These sailors go from one moment their boat is about to break apart and they're all going to be in the sea <clears throat> to calm. And they fear God. They are in awe. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they took vows. And so they offered a sacrifice of praise to the Lord and they, they promised <laughs> to continue their praise. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and, and three nights. And so we see that the Lord, it says, had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. God controls the sea, but also God controls all that is in it. And so the Lord prepared the term we have here is a, a great fish, sometimes translated sea monster. But he prepared a swimming underwater vessel that moves and lives and breathes. <laughs> he prepared it. Whatever you want to call that, that is what God prepared and Jonah was in the belly of this fish, it says, for three days and, and three nights. So once again, according to Jewish reckoning, it doesn't necessarily mean 72 hours. Any part of a day constitutes the day. And so just in the same way with Jesus being in the grave, any part of the Jewish day constitutes a day. And, and so uh, here we see that, uh, that now, just as his Jesus's burial would be this same length of time, so also was Jonah interned inside of this great fish. But notice again that the Lord prepared the great fish. What, what was it? Is it something that is known today? Was it possibly a mammal? Was it possibly a, a, a sperm whale or perhaps a whale shark? 
There's a story of a whaler named James Bartley who in 1891 reportedly fell into the sea while harpooning a large sperm whale. And when the whale was killed and dissected, Bartley was found in the whale's stomach, unconscious but alive. And some have argued that the incident was carefully investigated. It is, it is true. The widow, though, of the ship's captain denied that, that it ever happened. And, and so did it or didn't happen? We don't know. Is it a whale? Is it a fish? Is it an animal that exists today? Or was it something that the Lord created just specifically for Jonah? We're going to see that God does miracles all the time. Even in the rest of this story, we're going to see miracles, the way in which God goes and prepares other things. He's going to prepare a gourd that we're going to see that is going to grow up and suddenly be able to provide shade. We're going to see that the Lord is going to prepare a worm and it's going to eat the gourd and it's going to die. The Lord's going to prepare this east wind and this hot wind to blow. And, and so God prepared a great fish. Some people have difficulty in believing that. But I have no difficulty in believing it any more than I have difficulty in believing in any of the miracles. What is a miracle? A miracle is when God takes and sets aside the normal, natural conditions of the world to intervene. It was an absolute miracle when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and they do not tear him apart and eat him. God prepared that. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace and nothing but their ropes were, were burnt, that was God intervening, preparing that situation. When Balaam's donkey talks, do I believe in do talking donkeys? I believe in one talking donkey. <laughs> because God enabled it the crossing of the Jordan River. When the Jordan River was just stopped by God so the entire nation of Israel could walk across this river on dry ground. We see miracles uh, throughout the scriptures uh, where God has intervened and God has stepped in. We see the plagues against Egypt. We see the parting of the Red Sea when the entire nation comes through and God drowns the Egyptian army. We see the walls of Jericho falling because they shouted. Is it hard to believe that God prepared some type of fish or whale or mammal to transport Jonah? I have no problem believing that at all. Verse 1, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. We see here that this prayer, though, it's not a plea for deliverance that's recorded here. This is a prayer of thanksgiving for God rescuing and preserving Jonah even in the midst of his disobedience. 
There is a point where Jonah comes uh, to his senses. One of those but God moments. I was headed in the wrong direction. I was on a path for destruction. But God arrested me. But God intervened. And, and it was now inside of, uh, of this fish, we'll call it, that, that Jonah now and cries out to the Lord, repents in his heart for his willful disobedience and disregard of God's will. And so he prayed to the Lord from the fish's belly. He didn't have to be there. <laughs> he could have cried out on the boat. He could have cried out in Joppa. He could have cried out at any point in time. It was his own stubbornness that brings him all the way to the place of now having to cry out from the fish's belly. God uses the least amount of force necessary. But in our own stubbornness to God, he will increase the force necessary to bring a disobedient child back into line. The Bible says, if you spare the rod, you what? You spoil the child. If you let them just disobey without consequence, then, then that is not good for their soul to learn that disobedience is okay. It's not good for earthly children. It's not good for spiritual children either. And so here we see that Jonah now cries out from the fish's belly. But even that is an act of mercy and grace. Because he was thrown off of the ship and God saved him and gave him more time to repent. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. No doubt the Sheol there, the belly of Sheol, is the stomach of that whale or fish or whatever it was. If it was a mammal... <clears throat> It would be hot. It would be 98.6 and the humidity would be absolutely horrific. To speak nothing of the acid in the stomach that was uh, now corrosive towards him. When, <clears throat> when he, he is ejected out and he does eventually come, spoiler alert, he does actually end up in Nineveh. He is ghastly to look at, and, and no doubt, in my mind, the acid of the, of the fish took every bit of his hair, eyebrows, eyelashes uh, off, and, uh, and he's not looking good. But he cries out, and you heard my voice. <clears throat> For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your billows and your waves passed uh, uh, over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet 
I will look again towards your holy temple. He had been cast out of his sight. That was the separation of fellowship with God that sin creates. He was cast out of God's sight by his own willful disobedience. We see Adam and Eve and the consequence of sin and the separation now and the casting out from the garden. We see Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the, the separation of fellowship and communion that takes place that, that is a consequence of sin? And for Jesus, it was the consequence of taking our sin upon himself. I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. We see that there is a restored relationship. There is the forgiveness of sin. There's a breaking and there is a repentance and there is a turning towards, a looking again towards the holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. In the perils, the waters threatened his life. The sea surrounded him inside of the fish, the weeds on his head, and the, the bars of the earth that closed behind me forever might be the mouth of the fish that closed, and you have brought my life from the pit. O Lord, my. God. A different Jonah than was asleep inside of the bottom of the ship in the midst of, of God's judgment that he was bringing. And we see that there was no response whatsoever from Jonah to the judgment that God was bringing. But now we see the restoration, O oh Lord, my God. And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. So sensing that he was going to perish, that he was going to die, he prays for deliverance. And his petitions were heard by God. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard when you kick Dig your feet in against the will of God in your life. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. And I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And so those who regard worthless uh, idols, no lifeless idol could have delivered such a fashion as the God of heaven who made both the sea and the land. 
And with the voice of thanksgiving, he says here, in, in contrast to those who trusted in, in idols for deliverance, Jonah offered a sacrifice of praise to the true God. And he vowed to <clears throat> obey the Lord because salvation comes from the Lord. Deliverance comes from the Lord. And I will pay what I have vowed. He makes some promises in there. Probably the promise that he makes in there is, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and it's important because there are times when God will press us and we will find ourselves saying okay God if you get me out of this I promise and you will make a promise and I think it's important to keep those promises then, that when God does deliver that then you also step forwards and you honor those vows, those promises, even when they're made underneath duress. And even when you want to then kind of say, well, that was going to kind of happen anyway, and maybe that wasn't even the Lord, and maybe I don't really have to even there was a roofer that lost his footing and started to slip off of the side of a roof and he was sliding down over. He was reaching for it and he cries out, Oh, Lord Jesus, please save me. And just as he goes over the edge, his belt loop catches on a nail and it holds him. And he grabs onto the gutter and he, he says, Never mind, Lord, the nail got me. You don't want to start doing those kinds of, of rationalizations to, to then not pay your vows. When God intervenes in your life and you have promised Him, then fulfill your promise. He, Jonah says, I will fulfill those promises that I, that I have made to you. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation, your deliverance is, is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I find it just amazing. The fish worked at the command of God. Just as when the fish was underneath the command of God to swallow him, we see that it was under his command when it was time to let him go. Everything is underneath the authority and the order and the providence of God. Even evil is underneath the control of God. It has its limits and God puts its boundaries and for its seasons and for its time and to serve his purposes. But you can rest absolutely sure that the sovereign God of the universe, the creator God, the one who loves you and cares for you, has all authority, all power is in his hands. And the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land and so we see that, <laughs> that Jonah makes a quick round trip. 
starts off on dry land and now finds himself <laughs> vomited to, uh, onto dry land. God oftentimes will bring us right back to the place of failures to let us start over again. To let us start over again. What an amazing, loving, long-suffering, and kind God we have. And so in, in Jonah, we can relate to Jonah. Jonah was a, a prophet of God means that he knew the true and the living God. He was an Israelite, just as you and I. We are Christians. We know the Lord. We have a Savior. We worship what we know and what we understand. We don't worship after false uh, idols and worship things that we don't know. But at the same time, God can ask us to do things that are hard. To love your enemy, to not hold a grudge, to forgive people that have hurt us. And it can be, God, I just, I'm not going to go say I'm sorry. And we can just push back in our heart against the hard things that God asks us to do. We can want to defend ourselves, and the Lord says, don't defend yourself. And there are so many battles of our flesh against the Spirit when God is exhorting us and encouraging us and, and, and calling us to do the impossible. And when we try to do it in our own strength, then, then we will fail. And we will dig our heels in because God does not give us the resources to live a godly life apart from his enablement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so the minute that Jonah <clears throat> isn't going to walk in harmony with God, he's no longer going to have the enablement and the empowerment of God. And when we will not walk in harmony with God, then we also are not going to have the enablement and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But all God is asking for is to just bow the knee and to just start again. And it begins with one simple word, Lord. Lord. If he's the Lord of your life, then it just means a surrender to that lordship regardless of what it is that he's asking you to do. And there are times when what God asks of us can feel like it's too hard. It's just too painful. And yet, here's what we know. God will never ask you to do something that isn't in your best interest, that isn't for you. Sometimes with the case of forgiveness, you think, I can't forgive them, and they don't deserve to be forgiven. But when God asks you to forgive, it's not for them. Forgiveness sets you free. 
from that energy, from that anger, from that unforgiveness, from that bitter root that's in your heart and in your life that now starts to take up and occupy space in your heart that's supposed to be filled with love isn't going to have as much room to be filled with love when, when you won't empty it uh, and you hold on to it. And so Jonah gets compressed uh, he gets compressed by the circumstances in, in, in his life that God allows and even orchestrates and even sends to make him uncomfortable because God is not going to allow us to prosper in our life apart from dependence upon him. A child of God, your life is not going to... You can't have a sin area of your life and then think that God is going to bless the other areas of your life. He's going to get your relationship with him right and he's going to turn up the consequences the heat the temperature the tempest the wind in your life until you bow the knee at the docks of joppa god could have said to jonah we can do this the easy way Or the hard way. You decide. And I find that, that the Lord says that to us as well. There's grace and there's patience. But then there's obedience to the Lord. Because he loves you too much to see you walking the wrong way. To see you walking away from blessings instead of into blessings. And so, the minute that we're ready to turn, and the minute that we're ready to say, Lord, his arms are open wide. He forgives. He says, all right, let's go. And let's keep on going. Tonight, if there is any part of your life that needs to be addressed, that you need to say, oh, okay, Lord, I would rather do it the easy way than the hard way. Then tonight would be a great night to bow the knee and to pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. God, you love us so much you would even make a big giant fish to swallow us, Lord. You're amazing. You are loving. You care for us. You care about us. And so, God, we ask that you would continue. Help us, Lord. Help us to continue to keep you, Lord, over every area of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.